there's something for you today in John chapter 6. Let me give you a backdrop of the story because in this message series called Expect It, we reap what we speak and we speak it out, those things that we're wanting until they become reality. You say, well, that's just wishful thinking. Not when you speak God's word and his promises. When you speak his word, miracles begin to happen. And that's important to know. This is uh, Valerie ringing up here a little bit. But that's where miracles begin to happen. And I think that's important because you reap what you speak. That's why the Bible says the power of life and death are in the tongue. And then it goes on to say, and we will eat the fruit of it. So think about that because when a season of change comes, what we say in a difficult season is so important because it changes the atmosphere. So this story is an amazing story because it's about changing a climate and an atmosphere of expectancy. The disciples have just seen Jesus. He feeds multitudes. He fed 5,000 men plus countless men, uh, countless women and children with one boy sack lunch. Five barley loaves, two small fishes, and he feeds perhaps 15,000 people in this miraculous meal. And in John chapter 6, immediately after that, it says, after the people saw the miraculous signs that Jesus did, what sign was that? doing the multitudes, feeding the multitudes, providing the, the fish and the loaves of bread and feeding the thousands. After they saw the sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is a prophet who's come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they had intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the hills by himself. That's why I want to talk to you this morning for a short time about climate change, because I believe in global warming. No, 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 not that, not that climate change. I'm also a vegan. No, 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 not that either. And I'm not knocking you if you are a vegan. I think you should be really favored. But I think there's something about a climate change, not, not the polar caps and not what we're seeing in our atmospheric here pressures, but what we see in the heavenly realms where God can change the climate and we can believe for miracles. Can we pray this morning and we'll get started? Father, I thank you for your word that every word that I say will fall to the ground that comes from me, but every word that comes from you, it will change us forever because it comes from God. In Jesus' name and all God's men and women said... Amen. Now think about this. The miracles of God, they're really drawing cards, calling cards to get us aware. So when miracles come, it's not to make us immature. It's really to make us aware. They're calling cards. When God does a miracle in a life, a miracle of salvation, you know, that's the greatest miracle, by the way. When God begins to call you out of darkness and you believe in the Lord, that's the greatest miracle on the planet because nobody can come to God unless God reveals himself to you through his son and through the spirit. So that's a miracle of salvation. That's why the next time you're believing for a miracle, you got to look in the mirror and remember you are one. You are a miracle. So sometimes miracles, they're, they're, they're misunderstood. They're often misunderstood. They're God's drawing cards where he calls us and, and draws us to him, but sometimes they're misunderstood. At this point, Jesus sat, the, uh, sent the disciples away. The Bible says that when he sent them away in the book of John, that he sent them to go across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. And he didn't get in the boat with them. The Bible says, I read it, he went to a place by himself alone. The Sea of Galilee from one side to the next uh, is six miles long from one side to another. 
The scriptures say in another passage there, if you keep reading it, that they were right in the middle. So if it's six miles from one end of the bank to the next, how far are they in the sea? There's three miles in. They've got three miles to go. Jesus told them to get into the boat and I'm going to meet you, go to the other side. He departs by himself to pray and the something amazing happens. The Sea of Galilee starts to have winds and waves. I've been on that sea many times. And that sea, one time we were out there, and the sea, it started off really good. It was sunny. And then all of a sudden, the clouds came, the winds, the waves, and they literally had to stop our, our, our travel short across that sea because the winds and the waves began to blow so crazy. What was, what was interesting about it, we were in a boat, a big one that had a diesel engine in it with about 350 to 400 horsepower. And they literally had to say, no, we, we need to go back. Imagine being the disciples. Row, row, row your boat. <laughs> and they're in the middle. And now this thing, the winds, the waves are going crazy. They think they're going to die. First century folklore said that any sailor on the sea, when they're about to pass into eternity, they would see a ghost. That's why when Peter, they thought it was a ghost, when Jesus came to them, how did he come to them? Evidently, he doesn't use usual transportation. He starts walking onto the water to where they're at. How far are they out there? Three miles out. He's taking a walk out onto the water, not just to the shore to show him he's got a little bit of skills. No, three miles out, he's walking onto the water. Reminds me of the story of the Baptist minister, the, the, the priest and the rabbi were all fishing by the shoreline. They were having a little fishing contest so he can catch the most fish. And it got a lunchtime. They were a little hungry. So the, the, the rabbi, he began to think, I'm hungry. I'm going to go to the shore and get some lunch. And they said, okay, we'll, we'll go into the shore. And he says, no, I don't need to. He got out of the boat. He walked onto the water, went to the shore, grabbed his lunch, and began to eat. Not shortly, shortly thereafter, the, the priest did the same thing. He got out of the boat, walked onto the water, and went to the shore and ate his lunch with the rabbi. The priest and the rabbi are eating lunch. They walked on the water to get there. The Baptist minister says, hey, I know I am as spiritual as that priest and that rabbi. He said, Lord, help me with my unbelief. He literally got his courage up. He got out of the boat, and he sank like a rock right to the bottom. A little while later, he got back in the boat, collected himself. He said, Lord, help me in my unbelief. He did it again. He sank like a rock right to the bottom. The third attempt, the rabbi and the priest said, should we tell him where the rocks are so he don't drown himself? But this is an amazing story because Jesus is not walking on to the rocks. He's walking on the water to them. And the Bible says something amazing only in the passage of John that's not in any other gospel writers writ, uh, and stories. It says when he got into the boat, immediately they went to the other side. I looked up that word in the Greek immediately and I looked it up in the Hebrew. And do you know what the word immediately means? Immediately. It means immediately, like in the twinkling of an eye. It's like supernatural, instantaneous. What's the point? It's the rapture of the church. It's the first sign of the rapture of the church. First Thessalonians 4.16 said, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangels will split the heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. I love that. That means God's going to come back 
can get his people. Acts 1.11, men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing into the heavens? This same Jesus, let's say it together, this same Jesus that you saw go up shall come back in like manner. The way that you saw him go up physically means he's coming back that way physically. The way you saw him go up literally, he's coming back that way literally. God Almighty is coming back to this earth with power and great glory. Can you put your hands together and thank God for that? You say, well, that's unusual. So is walking on the water. You try that. See how good it goes for you. It's unusual. And something interesting happens because the next day, they're across the sea. Remember, it's six miles from one end of the bank to the next. And the people that saw the disciples leaving that singular boat knew that Jesus didn't go with them. And so they asked the question when they saw Jesus on the other side of that lake. They said, Rabbi means teacher. How did you get here? And when did you get here? I like Jesus' response because he doesn't answer their question. Instead, he asks them a question and then he answers it for them. You know, it's kind of interesting. He doesn't answer their question, but he asks them a question, but then he answers it for them. How many of you know that's kind of strange? They ask the question, he's not answering it, but yet he asks them the question. He doesn't wait for their response, he answers it for them. They ask the question, when did you get here? The logical question, obviously, but that's not what the Lord does. He says, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me, not because you saw the miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. That's interesting because Jesus was saying, you're not asking the right questions. The point is your appetite for being here is wrong. You're not here for the right reasons. You're hungering for the wrong things. It's so true with us today. We can start having an appetite for the wrong things, a wrong relationship, a wrong situation that we keep graduating toward and gravitating ourselves toward. We start hungering after religious things, that things that only bind us up and hurt us in the long run and not the real thing. He's saying you're hungering after the wrong things. He says, here's what I should tell you. Jesus was saying, I want you to know. I've heard some people explain, yeah, because people, they need to love Jesus and not go after the supernatural. That's not Jesus, what he was saying. He was saying the, he was saying the point of the appetite, you're hungering for the wrong things. You should be hungering for the miracles, not just because you had your belly filled. So you should be hungering for the miracle. You should be hungering for the miracle because it proves something. It proves the power of Almighty God. It's so important because the problem is you didn't become because of the miracles. You came because you wanted to be filled with your belly in the flesh. You wanted a natural filling. But God says you should hunger and thirst for the power of God. The miracles prove God's real. That's important because you're not seeking the, the right things. You're not seeking the power of my father. You're only seeking to have your earthly needs met. Jesus wanted them to hunger for that which was real. The loaves and fishes, friends, were not the miracle the provider was. And see, there's a world of difference, right? Because sometimes it happens with us. We get blessed and we think, man, that's great. And the channel, God, thank you. We, and we start worshiping the channel and we stop looking to the source. 
We start saying, well, God, that must be you because now that's the channel and that's how my blessing's coming. That's the channel, my blessing's coming. That's the channel. And God goes, no, no, that's the channel, but I'm your source. How many of you know if you start calling the channel the source, God will change the channel? And there are some times where God has to change the channel. And what you think is cutting off the resource, God's saying, you don't know the supply. You do not know the source in which that channel came from. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. Why? God makes it hard. He turns off the resources. He calls everything that's wonderful in your life. He turns it around. Now it becomes hell on earth so you can understand he is the source of your wealth. He is the source of your goodness. He is the source, not the channel, the source. He and he alone is the answer. Can we put our hands together and thank God for the answer? Now think about this, because miracles are promoting something, the awareness of God. Jesus didn't rebuke the people for wanting miracles. As a matter of fact, he said, you should want them. It's not a sign of immaturity to say, I'm looking for a miracle. I'm believing for a miracle. The Bible says something happens every time a miracle occurs. When the lame are made to walk, when the blind are caused to see, when the deaf begin to hear, the crippled become restored, there's always an open display of praise and worship among the people. In John chapter 6, verse 2, it said the people followed Jesus because they saw the miraculous signs that he performed on the sick. There were lots of rabbis teaching the Torah. There were lots of rabbis that wanted a following to teach the word of God. But none of those rabbis had supernatural power to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cause those things that are not as though they are. In Acts chapter 2, verse 22, it says, And Peter told the leaders of that day, Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was accredited by God, by signs, wonders, and miracles, God among him saw you through him. In other words, he was saying, these things that were done, were done by Father through His Son. The same is true for the followers of Jesus because people say, well, those miracles pass away. Those miracles of healing, the miracles of, of all that stuff, they pass away with the apostles. How about the followers of Jesus who preached the gospel, who shared the good news? The scriptures say the crowds heard a guy named Philip. Who's Philip? Many of you don't even know there's a Philip in the Bible. There's a crowd. They heard about Philip and they saw the miraculous signs that he did and and they all, paid, played, uh, they all paid close attention to what he had said. Simeon himself, or Simon, I should say, himself, a man, the scriptures say, who was a sorcerer, which means he was a pagan. He, he didn't believe in God. He believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip. There's Philip again. Everywhere he went, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So miracles are a drawing card. Miracles bring us to a sense of the miraculous, and that's what the church needs. You and I are the church. We need to have a sense of the miraculous, that God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all I can ask, think, dream, or imagine. Can I tell you, one touch of God's power is worth a ton of theology. One touch. My daddy didn't have any theology. He didn't have any scriptural upbringing. And when God set him free from major heroin addiction, you didn't have to, you didn't have to debate it. All you had to do is put that man of God on display. He said, he will show you because of a changed life, the miracles of God. But you have to realize, to have a true climate change so you don't experience world warming. Hey, get it? Hey, do you know how it happens? You got to understand miracles are a part of God's plan. 
that's important because you have to realize, each and every one of you, a miracle is a part of God's plan for your life. No matter how disappointed you may have been in a past experience, no how disappointed you've come because maybe you've been in another church and you believed and they, they tied a lot of stuff in with, with a bow and they put it on it, said you're going to have it and name it and claim it and all that stuff, and you've experienced some disappointments in the past. It doesn't change God's word. I love what Catherine Coleman said. She was a great woman of faith, and she saw supernatural things. She said that I've lived and I've died, and I never saw the miracles like the apostles saw in the book of Acts. God's word does not change. God said it, and I believe it. I love that because Smith Wigglesworth echoes the same thing. He was a great man of God, and he said, I'd rather die trusting in God than to live in an unbelief. Isn't it true for us today? God will use the realm of the miraculous to defeat the enemy in our lives and draw us closer to him. I have a personal story about that. Last Easter, not a few Sundays ago, but last Easter, I was woke up in the middle of the night by Jennifer. And that never happened before. And Jennifer woke me up in the middle of the night and I was woken up by Jennifer. And I'm like, hey, girl, hey, what's up? (laughs) Thinking, you know, hey, what's up? It's never happened before. She goes, no, get up, Joey. The, the, the neighbor's house is on. F- Some of you have minds that are bad. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. I could read lips, by the way. You think it's dark, and I read your lips. I'm going to stay over here. I'm reading Jennifer's lips. Uh-oh. <laughs> Might need a ride home today. <laughs> but Jennifer woke me up in the middle of the night. It was Easter Sunday last year. Not this one, but the last one previous And she woke me up and said, Joey, the neighbor's house is on fire. The neighbor's house is on fire. And we lived close, had neighbors that were close to us. She said, the neighbor's house is on fire. And so I immediately got up and I began to go outside and the house was an inferno. I mean, the house was ablaze. The heat was billowing out of the windows and the the roof was caving in and the fire trucks were there. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, it's going to light our house on fire. We had trees that separated the neighbor's house from our house, 30 foot tall. Uh, redwood trees, the big ones, the old school ones, and we live in an older home. And so these trees, I immediately thought they're going to catch fire. The house is going to, it's going to ignite those trees and that trees are close to our house. And I started to worry. And so I went out there and we have a gate. So I opened the gate up there on the street. And as I opened the gate, an awe of the Holy Spirit arrested me. I literally almost fell over by the presence of God in the middle of the night. And I had a sense, I saw angels wingtip to wingtip, as tall as those redwood trees, holding hands together from one side of the property to the other side of the property. And it was a holy moment where I was overwhelmed by God's protection to say, I got you. I went over to the neighbors because as a concerned neighbor, I went over to make sure they were out of the house. They were okay. Thankfully, everybody was out of the house. And the fire uh, captain told me, he said, sir, we put the meter on this fire. This was the hottest fire we've ever been to. He says, we don't know how those redwood trees caught fire. He says, when the smoke and the fire was billowing off the house that we were trying to put the fire out, they were hitting your trees and they were bouncing off your trees. They were bouncing off your trees. He says, I don't know how that happened. I said, I know how it happened. I said, the Lord put his angels to take charge of us and protect us in all our ways. What's my point? 
You have to believe that miracles are real. You have to expect them. They are real. The absence of miracles in your life, they should create hunger, not disappointment. So you should hunger for those things. But you, you have to know that, that what you hunger for has to be real. So you got to go after the real thing because there's a lot of times when you get into this arena, people start chasing things that aren't real. We live in a society today where right is wrong, wrong is right, and everything's up for discussion, and everything could be twisted and turned. So you've got to really hunger for the things that is real and the things of God that is real, and that's important, and the things in your life that is real. You know, I used to have a, a pet peeve when people would say, no, they're the real deal, you know, and I would always think, what, is that, what does that mean? And then I realized that not all people are real. Some people wear masks. Some people fake the funk. They're just not real, authentic people. You ever meet people like that? Some of you might be sitting by them. Don't look at them. But you ever meet people, they're just kind of something there. They just, it's the art of facial management. They're just not, realness and authenticity is attractive. It's attracted to God and it's attractive to others. That's why it's nothing so wonderful about being real and wanting that is which is real. That means I'm not knocking if this thing's over here. I don't care. I'm not to come against it. If it's real, I say, God bless them and say, God, if that's for me, you'll give it to me. But I am not in a place to try to manufacture something that's not real, that's like pigeon religion that tries to throw people over and do crazy things to people to try to orchestrate it. A, a, a fake move of the spirit and a move of God. If it's real, let God do it and let him do it now in Jesus' name. You got to hunger for that which is real. There's too much fake news going on. There's too much fake things being spread, too much fake stuff being spread. That's why a person that's real can identify with the real. But that's important because you have to know that which is real, the absence of miracles. They should create hunger in us, not disappointment, and hunger for the real deal. That's what Jesus is, by the way. He's what Coca-Cola tried to be, the real thing. He's the real thing. I know that was corny, but I thought it was funny. But you have to, you have to also you have to set yourself up for success, and you have to choose a life that's kind of what I call set apart. And set apart doesn't mean manufacture things to try to make you look spiritual when you're not spiritual. The Bible says, be holy as I'm holy. Many people think that that's a, a color length of a hair or a skirt that you wear. But that's not what holiness is. But a lot of people tell you, this is holiness, this is not holiness. But I'm talking about being set apart. If you are a believer, the Bible says, He's come inside you. He who is holy now lives on the inside of you. Now, I would say God doesn't want to live in a trash can because if there's garbage in the trash can, guess what's coming out of the trash can? Garbage in? Garbage in? So that which is set apart, that means what God's called me to stay away from might not be what God's called you to stay away from. What God's called me to endure and impress on and do, he might not call you to do it because that's not for your place yet. And I want you to know that because being set apart is a gateway to God's blessing. Being set apart means I'm not going to do things because it's been done before or everybody's doing it. So I would never invoke my prejudice on anybody and call it holiness. But what do we do? We think everybody should have what we have and we invoke it on them and we call it holiness. And that's what holiness is not. Holiness is not that. 
Holiness is an honor given to us by God. God has given us the honor of holiness by putting his son on the inside of us by the spirit. When you become a believer, you become holy. Now, I would encourage you, find the elements and areas in your life that need to be set apart. Like for me, for instance, I, I'm not a drinker. And, and some of you are straight winos. I mean, you just do, but I would not invoke my, hey, you shouldn't drink. I don't drink. Y'all shouldn't drink. I don't drink because I used to drink every day when I was 11 years old till 22. And I would drink and I had a problem with it. So the point I'm making is when God called me unto him, I knew I couldn't take that with me. I had to set that thing apart. Because I knew that I would have a dependency upon something that wouldn't help me, encourage me, and strengthen me. It would tear me apart. But I would never tell you, hey, don't you have your glass of Chardonnay, yo, I know. I may think it. But it's not my place because it's not my race. I'm called to be set apart. You're called to be set apart. What I'm telling you, friend, is you have to make that decision. God, what do you want me to set apart? I'm to set apart lots of things in my life. If I told you what I'm called to stay away from and what I'm called to do, you would immediately think, this guy's up here, I'm down here. But you're not called to do what I'm not called at what called to do. And I'm not called what you're called to do. Some of the things you would do, I would be like, oh my God, I'm a sinner. Oh my God, I'm not, I'm not even saved. But God's called you to do that. My point is what you find out which is real, set yourself apart by God and let God begin to develop in you a sanctification, which just means he starts to renew things in your life and the things you once loved, you now hate and the things you now hate, you once loved and you change. I'm sorry, my voice went high and whiny, but you get my point. As we get ready to close, as Pat comes and we close our time, I want you to think about this other element to have a climate change. You have to live in a place of compassion. A place of compassion is so important because that's how you change a home. That's how you change a life. That's how you change a neighborhood, by staying the course and loving people and being there for them. That's how a church grows. There's not a church on the planet that grows because we put signs out that say, all welcome. Everybody welcome. The smallest churches in America have the biggest banners that say, everybody welcome. It's not a matter of that. I would tell you, those of you that are here, one of the areas you're lacking in is the area of compassion. And I tell you that because when you're a compassionate person, you're always trying to lift up, build up, and help everybody else. Because you are expressing that by your day-to-day -day life. And what I mean by that, when... You ever think about somebody who has a development for prosperity? They want to be prosperous. And if you really talk to them, it's because they were raised in poverty. Now they have a passion and a, it's, 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 a, it's a passion and compassion. They want to help others. They want to be blessed so they can help others. That's compassionate. A compassion to help kids. There's nothing in Stockton for teenage kids. We have over 2,200 that are from... 13 to 17, not 17 up. There's another, I don't know how many hundreds of those, but I'm just talking about kids that needed a place to go. It's not because we like doing it per se, it's because we're compassionate people. You run a business six days a week, 18 hours a day that doesn't make any money, that costs you a lot of money, and it'll show your heart real fast. It's an arm of compassion. 
all compassion shows when the doors open. Our love, our acceptance, we don't charge the kids any money to be there. We love them. It's compassion in action. When you see somebody in need, you pray for them, you love them. It's compassion in action. You invite them to the house of God. You, you bring them along with you. You know, I realize that only people need is an invite and not an invite from the pastor. You do not need the cornball inviting everybody to church because then I start saying crazy stuff. All churches stink. Ours is the best. You know, I start saying silly stuff. I do that often. It's bad. So you don't need me doing it. We need you doing it. But that's an arm of your compassion. Because if you've been blessed by the ministry and helped, because if you come to church and you get nothing out of the church, you'll just keep skipping church. But if you come to church and you're getting something out of it, then compassion says, I want somebody else to get something out of it. You see how that works? If you see somebody in need and you have a little bit, what Jesus said, go the extra mile. Give them your cloak. Give them what you can. Don't give them the leftovers. Give them the best. It's compassion. All throughout the scriptures, we see this over and over again. He was moved with compassion. He sent out the 12, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 14, with compassion for the multitudes, he healed the sick among them. Mark chapter 8, with compassion, the ministry of 4,000 were distributed and fed. Matthew chapter 20, he had compassion on them. He restored the sight to the blind man. In Mark chapter 1, verse 40, moved with compassion, he healed the man of leprosy. In Mark chapter 5, expressing the compassion of God, his father, he healed the demon-possessed man. In Mark chapter 6, verse 34, moved with compassion. He miraculously fed 5,000 hungry men. In Luke chapter 7, verse 11, because of the compassion of him, he raised the dead of the son of the grieving widow. Filling that out with Mark chapter 9, he healed the boy with compassion who had the evil spirit. Compassion is a key that unlocks your destiny. Being compassionate is so important because his mercies are new every single morning. Friends, there's something about the mercies and compassion of God. If you're merciful and you're forgiving, it'll flow out of you. You can no more close the bowels of your compassion and walk away than the sun refuses to shine at noonday. It's not going to happen. You're going to manifest it if it's inside of you. And that's what God wants you to realize. You are called to be somebody else's miracle. You are called to be somebody's gateway of blessing. You are called to be. That's why we exist in this community, Jennifer and I, the church oasis. It's not a manufactured monument of, a, of managers who managed the church, took over. It's none of that. It's here because we want to really help. And we don't have to be here. We get to be here. We are honored to be here. We want to help. It's an arm of compassion. God moves when his people learn to operate in supernatural love rather than by their military might or their political standings. It's important because God operates in love because love never fails. Love never fails. And if love never fails, then guess what? God will give you a word. And when there's thousands of promises right here, they're all generally for all of us. But when God gives you a divine word for your life, it'll launch you into a new stratosphere. God doesn't give explanations. He gives promises, promises or words. And when he gives you a word, an unmistakable message directly to the heart. He gave me one many years ago when I first became a believer. And I had such a horrific upbringing. And I'm like, I can't even function. I can't even, how am I going to be a minister, a pastor? I don't have any qualifications. I'm like, I have 
man, I have graduated college of hard knocks. That's about it. And I had all this insecurity, all this, like, nothing. I mean, raised with nothing. And I was reading out of Isaiah, and it said, I'll give them double recompense for their troubles. And that was a promise to me many years ago. And I took that. I just didn't read that. There's a lots of people that read the word, but their heart's not in it. Their mind's not in it. They read it, but they don't believe it. Hitler read it verbatim, didn't read it. Joseph Stalin read it verbatim. He could quote the Bible, but he didn't live it. He systematically murdered millions of people. Literally, people all over our community, they may read the word of God, but they don't live the word of God. And that's where in him, the word, we live and move and have our being. And that word, friends, was like ignited something on me. And it, it stuff fell off me because I realized that's a promise for me. I can have double. And I can tell you, he's given us more than double. He's given us more than we can possibly think, dream, or imagine. So you have to ask yourself, have I a promise? Has God spoken? Because every great men and women of God, God gives them a promise, and he begins to speak to them. The Bible says they eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. That means God wants to do something unusual in your heart, your life. God wants to do something unusual in your day-to-day -day life. We believe in miracles because we believe in God, and God is a miracle-working God.